0: You may be seated. I said when you play your last song, just make a face at me. I was waiting for one of these. That's the way we rehearsed it, but all it was was a... Uh, listen, it's my job to introduce David Lemoyne today. Uh, I don't know if you were here last week, but it's worth getting the download. I guess we're on iTunes now. I think it's set up, and you can pull that. I, I think that was a such a timely well-spoken message last week. Uh, If if you were here, David went up to every section, every row, and said, Jesus loves you, Jesus cares for you, Jesus died for you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And I'll tell you what, I was thinking of that all week, and that's how I know the Holy Spirit was involved. So thank you, Dave. By the way, our pastor is in New York today today. celebrating his wife's birthday and uh, he's probably on the statue of liberty now so we'll pray for him so father we just thank you for our brother today and father i thank you that the uh uh, the, the holy spirit rests on him as he's anointed him to bring good news to preach the gospel to declare the year of god's favor to release captives to set prisoners free we thank you for his ministry we thank you for his Anointing, We thank you that we can call him a brother. In Jesus' name, amen. You. Amen.
1: You're calling me a, a, a name this week. <laughs> last week in the uh, prayer room, we were praying together, and he called me a condiment. I didn't know if I should take that as a uh, uh, compliment or not. By the way, you can do- download last week's sermon. It's 1995. There's no satisfaction guarantee. Please do not call me and ask for a refund, but you can download it. Uh, This week, we're going to be in the first chapter of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament this morning. And I'd like to just read the last few verses, and then we're going to jump into this thing. I will cover the first chapter as we move through the message, but I'd just like to read the end result or the testimony that God tagged to Daniel and his three friends. When the king interviewed them, he found them far superior to all the other young men. None were a match for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. And they took their place in the king's service. There was no equal to these four young men. And at the end of their three-year seminary training... In the church of Babylon, no one could find anybody that measured up to these four men that God handpicked and placed in Babylon. You know, Christians today we're confronted with many questions. Think about this for a moment. How can we remain faithful to God in a world that rejects him? Is it even worth standing firm and obeying him when oftentimes he seems to be so distant or so far away? How can we live courageously and confidently in a nation that doesn't seek to live under God's rule? Is it possible to be a blessing to the nation, to show the power of God and the goodness of God, even in a time such as ours? I want you to rewind and think about what is taking place here. Daniel and his three friends are huddled up on the sofa, and they are banging out on their Xbox One. Maybe they're playing Call of Duty. Maybe it's Madden 16. Maybe it's some other game. But they are laying into the Doritos. They're hitting the Kool-Aid. They're playing the video games. Maybe they take a break. They get the Nerf guns out. They chase each other around the house with a Nerf gun war. We don't know exactly what's going on. Maybe they're laying and lounging around the pool. We don't know exactly what's going on in the life of Daniel and his three friends at this moment. But what we do know is that the Babylonian army ransacked their city and rounded up these four young individuals along with others, and they snatched them, and they uprooted them from their home, and they took them on a long journey to a foreign land and a foreign home. They were no longer surrounded by their family. They were no longer attending the temple. They no longer had uh, access to their community at large a foreign king with a foreign army invaded their homeland and snatched them up and ripped them out of their homeland and took them to a foreign place. And that King Nebuchadnezzar had one goal in mind. He wanted to brainwash them. He wanted to break the youth down. He wanted them to unlearn everything that they had been taught for those 16 or 17 years in their homes And the enemy wanted to completely eradicate anything and everything of the Hebrew nation and of the Hebrew God and of the Hebrew community. And he wanted to infiltrate them and brainwash them so that they would start speaking and thinking and acting like the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. This is precisely what took place in the life of Daniel. See, Jeremiah warned God's people. That over time, Israel had this habit of rebelling against God. They had the word of God. They understood the word of God. They had the priests. They had the pastors. They had absolutely no excuse whatsoever. But they rebelled against this one true God. And time and time again, they spiraled downward. Things got tough in their life. They cried out for help. And then God was Johnny on the spot, and he rescued them. And this went on decade after decade after decade. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the other prophets, at some point in time in their words, said, this is going to come to an utter end. And it's right here with Daniel and his three friends in Babylon. Snatched up, ripped out, and they're entered in or enrolled into the Babylonian seminary. I'd like for us to take this first principle away from the first chapter of Daniel, and that is this, that God is the one moving the hands of time. God is the one moving the hands of time. Think about what Daniel wrote in these first few verses. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he declared war on Jerusalem, and he besieged the city. The master handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, going Along with some of the furnishings from the temple of God. Nebuchadnezzar took and put the furnishings in the sacred treasures. You know, the book of Daniel begins with an absolute crisis. At first glance, we hear Nebuchadnezzar invaded, Nebuchadnezzar took, Nebuchadnezzar did this, Nebuchadnezzar did that. But the beginning of this book begins with a crisis. And if we're going to get a full sense of this crisis, we have to go back to the promise that God made to Abraham. Remember in Genesis, where God moves in Abraham's life, and he says, I want you to leave your friends, I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave your community, I want you to go to a place that I will show you later on. There's a blind faith, a deep trust in God. I want you to go to this place and I will show you and I will make your nation great and I will expand the descendants of you and your family to, be the, to outnumber the grains of the sand of the seas across the globe. This was the very promise that God gave to Abraham. But yet we find in Daniel that this promise is coming to an end that this very promise is shaking and on the verge of being completely and utterly shattered. At this point in time in the life of Israel, there is no rescue. God isn't showing up. He's not parting the Red Sea. He's not providing a way out for God's people. At this point in time, it is dire straits. It's the end for all of Israel. You know, when you sit in a movie theater and you watch the movie... I'm one of those guys that when the movie ends, I'm up and out. I just don't. I want to get out of the crowd and I want to get in a car. But there's those individuals that sit there and they watch all the credits, all the main actors, all the main actresses. uh, I don't even know what some of those titles are. They've got the people that provide the food, the people that run the cameras, you name it. On and on and on. It's about a uh, 10-minute wait till you get to the very end where it says, The End. Some of you are smiling. You're probably those that just sit there in a movie theater until you see the end. And then you get up and, I'm a little smarter than that. I don't need them to tell me the end for me to start making my move. But that was what's taking place in God's people's lives. That God was saying, the end. It's done. I'm not going to rescue you. Yes, I made a promise to Abraham. We're going to have to wait and see how this thing's fleshed out. But for the time being, your rebellion has become so great that I've empowered a pagan king to ramsack your city on three separate occasions and to utterly destroy you and embarrass you and to take the best and brightest of your young people out of your homeland, and I'm going to brainwash them in my city. It was coming to an absolute And Daniel and his friends were a signal, not a flashing yellow light of caution, but it was a hard, strong, firm, unwavering red light that it is finished for the nation of Israel. God had absolutely had enough. And the people were dismayed, and they were discouraged, and their dreams were evaporating like a mist, and it was just gone. Up in smoke. No hope. No promise, no future. You know, our great country was founded by Puritans. There was a group of people over in Europe that were under intense religious persecution that they were willing to load up the small things that they owned and their little kids and their newborn babies and hop on a boat that didn't have power motors, was by sail, going to a place they had never been before with the small, simple dream that I will be able to worship the one true God without persecution and without interference. And that's how this great country was founded. But think about what has transpired over the past 200 plus years and our great nation. Think about how now that God has become or Jesus Christ has become nothing more than a buzzword to be used by politicians and lawyers and educators alike. Think about how far our country has moved and disintegrated from the original vision and the hope and the dream of the founding fathers of this great country. Think about how far we have moved from that original intent and that original idea that this would be a nation where we could worship the one true God without persecution without insult, without control, without suffocation, that this would be a place where we could openly worship without fear and adore the living Lord Jesus Christ. That's the founding of our nation. But we've disintegrated. Things aren't like they used to be. This message really came out of uh, our pastor's message if you remember the message that he preached following the uh, Supreme Court decision, and just thinking about where our culture is and how our values have shifted and, quite honestly, the environment in which we're now raising our children up in. And I'm concerned about that. I saw the. Uh, Remind me of what your name is again. Keith, I saw him sitting here during the worship with his newborn baby. Congratulations, by the way. Can you imagine the temptation and the challenges that await his child? I think about my four children. Aaron just turned 11. He's going into sixth grade. And last year he was asking me questions and talking about things where I turned four shades of red. That I had not heard about until I was in the locker room in ninth or tenth grade. The stuff that is bombarding the youth of America today is just unbelievable. And that's what was taking place in the life of Daniel. But there's always a glimpse of hope, there's always a hint of grace. Because if you read this passage, and from Daniel's perspective, you would think that Nebuchadnezzar has everything under control. That this pagan king is having his way. He is having a field day with God's people. But tucked in these few verses, we read that the master handed them over. Nebuchadnezzar was just a tool, but ultimately, the stamp of approval came from the one true God. And it encourages me to think about our country, and to think about the fact that God meant this for good, that it was always God's intent that the pagan nations around Israel would come to know and love and serve the one true God. But unfortunately, he had to use hard times and persecution to wake his people up. And maybe, just maybe, the things that we're going through today is God's way of waking us up. Maybe it's just God's way of nudging us a little bit. Poking us or prodding us. Maybe we've kind of fallen asleep on the watch. But God meant this crisis to be a great thing in the life of Babylon and in the life of his people. And I'm just like you. I watch the news, I read the paper, I listen to the talk shows, and I get angry. I get frustrated. I'm one of these guys that sees things black and white i want to get into a fight i want i want to wrestle with these issues i want to fight i want to argue i want to defend but do you know that there's times in our lives and in the time of our country where god isn't going to give us a voice that he's not going to let us fight that we're not going to be just be able to defend him or His Word, or our lives and our religious practices, there's days in our lives where God brings us to an end, to a dire strait. And is His work with His vision for His purposes. So when we turn on the news and we listen to the radio and we read the papers and we talk to our friends and we hear about the discussions around the water cooler at work or when our kids come home and they start talking to us about things, we need to understand that no man... Here in this world is in control, that it is the very hand of God moving the clock. It's the very hand of God that's tipping the hourglass. It's the very hand of God that is in control of the Alpha and the Omega from beginning to end. And this is precisely where Daniel found comfort. Moving along, we can see from Daniel's experience in Babylon that we're called to live in a toxic culture. We are called to live in a highly toxic culture. Daniel, he determined that he would not defile himself, verse 8. He would not defile himself. He would not pollute himself. He would not do something or cross the line or step over that line that God had drawn in the sand. He wasn't willing to go to that place where he would be disqualified. It's the image of an instrument that's being used in the temple, and it was misused. It was used improperly. And in those days, the priests would take that, and they would break it and bend it, and they would burn it. It was no longer usable. It had been desecrated. And Daniel was unwilling to cross this particular line to such an extent that he wanted to guard himself and guard his relationship with God. Think about it for a moment. These guys are about 16, 17, 18 years old. Paul, without parental guidance or with Parental supervision. Now, I know what most 16-year-olds would get involved in without any type of guidelines or boundaries or supervision. When we turn on a channel and we see the commercial, it's Vegas time, baby. What goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. Vegas your average Ruth would not be constrained by any morals or values. They would see this as an opportunity to just basically live it up. It's a free-for-all. Anything goes. But not Daniel and his three friends. Not Daniel He wasn't willing to cross that line. He understood God's word. He understood the dietary laws in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 17. He understood that there was a law or a boundary that God had placed in his life that he was unwilling to cross. He simply wasn't going to partake of the king's food and the king's wine. He knew that this food had been offered up to idols. He knew that it was unclean. And there was no way that he was willing to cross that line and feast on the food that had been offered to idols the food and the wine but I went into the Chinese buffet about two weeks ago and I was convicted because they've remodeled it and when you open up the door there's like a ten foot Buddha Something new has been added to the restaurant. Now, I may not have the conviction that Daniel has. I can't sit here and tell you that I'm not going to go to that buffet again. But Daniel understood the word of God and how it applied to his life, and he was unwilling to cross that line. He had to navigate a secular culture. He had to know the difference between a personal conviction and a biblical conviction. He he needed to understand what applied to him, but may not apply to others. He needed to understand the difference between a personal conviction and a biblical conviction. We all have personal convictions. Based on the family that we're raised in, our church experience our communities. We all have personal convictions. You know, the deep, deep, deep south is full of personal convictions. Hey, pastor, is it really okay to have instruments in the church on Sunday morning? I mean, after all, the keyboard and the piano are in the bars and the honky-tonks. Hey, pastor, is it okay to go fishing on a Sunday? Yes, if you invite me. Think about personal conviction. Think about how dress has changed over the years. F- rewind, and how would the women be dressed in today's churches? How would the men be rest where would we sit there's personal convictions that have changed over time and we all have those personal convictions but they're just those personal convictions but then there's biblical convictions that apply across the board and daniel knew how to navigate his culture He knew how to tiptoe. He knew how to walk. He knew how to move between personal and biblical convictions in a secular world. Think about Daniel's transformation for a moment. He goes through a name change. Why? Because the pagan king didn't want him having a Hebrew name attached to the Hebrew God. So all four gentlemen received new names. He was okay with that. He took on the new name. Even though he knew the king wanted to eradicate any reference whatsoever to his God, he was willing to take on and live a new life in a new city with a new name. It also says that he was trained in divination. I find this a little odd that God's chosen man, Daniel, and his three friends were involved in divination that they learned the secular practice of interpreting dreams and visions. And yes, they even went as far as being able to identify and define any type of human organs that were used in secular pagan worship. Daniel learned the tricks of the trade from the pagan king and from the pagan priest early Jewish historian by the name of Jerome, he suggested in Isaiah chapter 39 verse 7 that some of your sons will be taken into exile, ending up as eunuchs. That his body had been radically changed and transformed so that he could serve in the king's palace. Think about the transition and name change, a body change, he's involved in divination and sorcery, but when comes to the dietary laws he draws the line in the sand seems kind of silly to me but he knew what a biblical conviction was and he was unwilling to cross the line because he was going to stand firm right there he understood that his hope and his confidence was built on the word of God, and if he obeyed God, that God would be responsible for the outcome of his situation. And he stood still right there on the very word of God. Daniel and his three friends, they endured much cultural assimilation. But when it came to crossing the barrier and the boundary that God's word had placed in his life, Daniel stood still, stood firm, didn't stop and question and doubt for a moment. Daniel was going to be God's man and God's place among a foreign people. Without a shadow of a doubt, he stood his ground. Lastly, when we look at the first chapter of Daniel, we can see that he maintained a calm spirit under fire. Daniel maintained a calm spirit when he was under fire. Verses 12 and 13. But Daniel appealed to a steward. Try us out for 10 days, then compare us. Make your decision based on, on what you see. Daniel was calm in the midst of the fire. Think about this. He was assigned a steward, steward, basically a babysitter, really didn't have a whole lot of authority, didn't have a high position in the kingdom, but Daniel respected that individual. Daniel didn't try to belittle his position. Daniel didn't try to undermine his power, Daniel was friendly, courteous, and polite to the immediate authority that God had placed in his life. He knew that that steward had to report to the head steward, and ultimately, the head steward would report to the king. So he knew if it went well with the babysitter, that things could go well with him on up the line with the king. His confidence and his hope in God brought grace to be courteous to the immediate authority in his life. He was polite. Daniel wasn't rude. He wasn't arrogant. He didn't cause friction with authority in his life. He didn't try to undermine the pagan authority in his life. He didn't try to disrupt or interrupt the system that God had placed in his life? No, Daniel found the confidence and the grace to be polite to the pagan authorities in his life. It was God's responsibility to work things out. Daniel understood that if I respect authority, I trust God, I obey His word, that God is ultimately responsible. For the outcome in my life. He maintained his cool under fire. Daniel understood that this was a win-win situation for him. He understood that if I trust God and obey God, that my testimony is going to remain intact. I'll have a positive influence on people's lives. I may be eaten by the lion and the lion's done. I may be burnt up in the fire. But at the end of the day, when I draw my last breath and I show my face before a high and holy God, I had the confidence in knowing that I was faithful and obedient to the very end. Daniel had that testimony seared in the recesses of his heart and his soul. And because he was willing to die for God, he was also willing to live with God. And might I suggest that's much more difficult to do. Is to live for God in a secular pagan society. Daniel lived 70 years in Babylon. And outlived several kings and served several kings because of his faith. And his hope, and his res- in God, and his respect for the authority that God placed in his life. How many of you remember Hurricane Katrina? We had some friends uh, down in Florida, and that hurricane went right over their house. I was talking to them after the hurricane, and I asked them how they fared, and they didn't fare well. Their house was completely destroyed. Said so Dave, we were sitting there course in florida they don't have basements they don't have cellars or storm shelters they're just huddled up in the bathroom got the storm shelters on and they could literally hear the bricks being ripped right off of the side of their house said it sounded like a freight train was going right through the center of their living room they thought for sure that they were not going to make it through hurricane katrina their house was destroyed This went on for several hours until the eye of the storm came over them. I don't know if you know anything about hurricanes, but the eye of the storm is peaceful. It's tranquil. There's a sense of security. The wind is there. The birds are chirping. Everything seems to be normal while complete and utter chaos is going on around you. And he was sharing with me that they had one hour to pack up their valuables and their family and get to safe shelter. One hour during the eye of the storm. And they seized that opportunity. They found Safe Harbor. The hurricane rolled in, and the backside wiped out their neighborhood. Hurricane Katrina, South Florida. Daniel found the eye of the storm in Babylon. He knew that there was a potential that his life would be ripped apart. He knew that there was the potential that everything that he had learned and been taught and had been practiced would slowly fall by the wayside. Daniel understood that compromise was at his doorstep. Daniel understood that this secular king and this secular world wanted to dismantle his life and brainwash him and destroy the name and the reputation of his God. But he found the eye. He found a place of hope and peace that he could reside in and he could endure, not endure, but be victorious over everything the hostile world threw at them, And it was in the hope and the promise of God's word. I think there's a principle there for us too here living in this country and how we interact with a secular culture and people that have different values and morals than us. He didn't raise the banner sign. He didn't pick it. He didn't go out and hire attorneys. He didn't draw the line in the sand on baking a cake for people that wanted to have a ceremony. He didn't bring attention to himself. He didn't stand up and say, I got rights. Nobody's going to violate my rights. Nobody's going to step on and trample my values and my morals. You don't see any of that haughty, arrogant, self-righteous spirit in Daniel whatsoever. He quietly, peacefully, with a deep sense of trust and hope in God, stood with the Word of God and obeyed the Word of God, and at times navigated the system... so that he was able to maintain his walk with God and keep his testimony intact and leave a lasting impact on generation after generation for 70 years in a city or a state called Babylon. Things were going to get worse. This is really just the beginning in our country Quite honestly, Christians have been spoiled. Dare I say we're even lazy, fat, and sassy? And people aren't attracted to a message that comes from that type of individual. People are attracted to To a message that comes from a humble, quiet, peaceful, hopeful, positive, Christ centered heart. And I believe, like Daniel, our young people are going to experience much what he had to experience if they already haven't had to do so. And I believe the word of God in Daniel is a wake-up call for God's people in the church. That we are on the threshold of a crisis. A crisis for the very heart and soul of our great country. The greatest enemy is not ISIS. The greatest enemy is not communism or socialism. The greatest enemy is not the IRS tax code. The greatest enemy is not drugs and alcohol. The greatest enemy is not not same-sex marriage. The greatest enemy is not someone or something that you can stick a pin in and prick them and they bleed. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against princes. We wrestle against fallen Angels, the real battleground is right here. The battleground isn't blue state, red state. The battleground is about 12 inches between the head and the heart. And if we want to be like Daniel... And we want to keep that intact, and we want to safeguard our families and our children, then like Daniel, we need to know God's Word, we need to practice God's Word, we need to stand on God's Word, and we need to do it with humility and with patience and with confidence in Christ alone. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for today. We do thank you for this great nation. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. We thank you for the many responsibilities that you've entrusted to us. We thank you, God, that we worship today in a church where there's no fear of persecution. We want to thank you for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. But God, today we pause and we think about that and we want to be good stewards of that. We want to carry ourselves in this pagan, secular world in such a way that people see your power displayed and your peace prevailing in our lives. And we pray these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.